You're listening to Sibling Talk with Mary Jo Tumare and John Paulette. Commentary from a progressive point of view. Hello, I'm John Paulette. Mary Jo Tumare. Hello, Mary. I watched the president's presser last night as did you. I saw how unhinged he is, I think worse than we've ever seen. So I want to ask you the question directly. If we are not going to utilize the 25th Amendment now, when would we ever use it? Isn't this guy clearly not capable of executing the office of the presidency? So I just didn't expect you to go there <laughs> to the 25th Amendment already. And um, so that caught me off guard a little bit. So, but who, but who? I mean, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but is it the vice president that initiates that? Because that sycophant isn't going to do it. Yeah, and you're right. Who, who I would think do it? Has it? To be, it has to be the cabinet and the vice president. So I guess you're right. Although it seemed to me a great opening question, it just isn't going to happen. No, I mean, they're, yesterday when, you know, they're pressing Trump on um, how can you reopen the country? You didn't close the country and there is the 10th Amendment and all these great questions are being asked. They can't get him to answer it with anything other than, you know, complete inanity. So they asked. Pence, the poor thing looked like a deer in the headlights. And he was like, well, you know, I mean, the president does have plenary power. And um, that was that. I I thought, how low can you go? Absolutely. Well, I mean, that gets, I think, to the substance of it. We now, we've always had an adversarial relationship between the president and the media. But has it ever been at this kind of level? No, it was really upsetting yesterday. First of all, the content of his, the position that he took about having absolute power, the stupidity with which he expressed it, which was something like the president has the authority to do what the president has the authority to do. I mean, I didn't even know what to do about that. but laugh. Don't you think maybe that sounds better in French? <laughs> it's, it might. It might. Say <laughs> la guerre. But um, I don't know. I mean, it was really upsetting. And the the press, the few people that were there did such a good job trying to hold him to account. But he loves that. I think he enjoys the sparring with them. I think despite, you know, what people are telling him or what the polls are showing he thinks it helps him and I think it probably does with some bit of his base but it does demonstrate that he doesn't have executive presence you know talk about an old corporate term that we both have used in previous lives and he doesn't have any executive presence and actually you do see that in the contrast when Mike Pence gets up to speak Despite the fact that he's, you know, sycophantish, I'm not sure if that's a word, but um, he does seem to command the stage. And the other stark contrast we had to that today 
was listening to Obama's endorsement of Biden and thinking, oh, that's what a president's supposed to sound like. Absolutely. And that was perhaps the next topic on my mind. So the endorsement is done. Uh, Obama can now, I think, be out front and become a part of this this campaign. But what kind of campaign is it going to be? Is this going to be like McKinley standing on his porch in Canton, Ohio? Is it going to be Joe Biden trying to campaign from his basement? I mean, what other choice does he have? Now, certainly he could put together campaign style Zoom call, you know, where it's him and Obama and Bernie and they're all talking. Um, but I think it's a it's a really tough thing to do. Now, maybe with Obama in, he can get more attention from the press. I do think that people were interested to hear what Obama had to say about Trump and this moment. And Obama being Obama was not direct about anything. You know, he's always so obtuse. Uh, but he did talk about leadership and what was necessary and creating a contrast. Joe doesn't do that as well as Obama does. I do think one of the interesting stories, though, that can get some uh, attention, just because it's so fascinating, is how much um, influence Obama was having behind the scenes. Yeah. And I don't think that hurts Joe Biden. I don't think it hurts anybody. It's just a fascinating story about how things will really run once Biden becomes president. And I I was very struck that Obama said Joe Biden is the right guy there. And I'm going to paraphrase him here, but it was something like, and he will surround himself by a lot of competent people. Now, part of that certainly is a very fair shot at at Trump, who has not done that. But I also heard it to say a lot of the old Obama gang will be there. I agree. And I think that's something maybe I want to hear in particular, because, you know, lost in the midst of all of this, uh, we have respect, we have admiration for Obama, But that was a really well-run administration. We were at the point of a depression. They pulled us out. Not exactly the way I would have liked to see them do it, but they did pull us out. The United States has talked about, uh, I'm sorry, uh, what's the word for it? Not revising, uh, but making major changes to medical insurance and health care for 100 years. And Obama did it. Obama did it. And he did it with an administration that was scandal free. It was squeaky clean. So when we think not only of Obama, who's a man we have great respect for, but of the Obama administration, there was an awful lot good there. Yeah, there was a lot of talent there. And Biden will have access to all that talent. And the other talent that's gurgling up uh, through the Democratic Party and any of the never Trumper Republicans that he wants to bring in. Yeah. So I, exactly I thought right. that was a powerful statement that Obama made. The other great thing that happened for the Democrats last night was the release of the results from Wisconsin. Yes. 
Yes and yes. And it raised a question. I just was listening to Senator Claire McCaskill, or past Senator uh, Claire McCaskill, and she commented it showed that Americans will vote no matter what obstacle you give them. Actually, she said specifically, Americans will fall through glass to be able, able <laughs> to that vote. That was awesome. <laughs> it is. Only, only a good Missouri woman with an amazing kitchen like she has. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we know from on television. But, you know, we, I think both you and I saw Wisconsin as a very negative harbinger of what could happen in November because the courts lined up with the Republican. Is this possibly a positive sign that an energized Democratic base will go to vote no matter what the voters' suppression is? I, th- I, I think that was a takeaway that at least was hopeful. We've had hopeful signs along the way, the midterms, special elections, but this is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is, you know, the, the new Ohio. So if that happened in Wisconsin, and what's interesting about Wisconsin, a huge percentage of those ballots had already been cast by election day. So um, George Conway, you know, Kellyanne's husband did a really interesting piece. I think it was in the post about you have to blame the legislature, not the courts. Kind of legalistic. But his point was that it, it wasn't voter suppression in the way that we think about it. It was simply that they weren't the, the um, state Senate or state Congress wasn't willing to extend the postmark date for a, a week and the courts, both the Wisconsin Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court, were simply following the law. It was a little stretched, but the point being that most people saw what was coming, got their ballots, and voted before uh, the actual election. And that, I think, the polling, and Kornacki had something about that on today, too, that most people just want the opportunity to be able to vote by mail. And if they have that, they will take the opportunity. It's not super difficult. Like in Ohio, you ask for a ballot, the ballot comes, you vote. Um, So that, I think, is good news for November. And it's hard to suppress that when people can make the opportunity to to vote by ballot. One last thing I want to touch on, and I think you and I differ on this. Governors uh, up in the Northeast, and on the West Coast are forming these, I don't know what to call them, coalitions, uh, working groups of states, yeah. regional groups. I feel like you think this is a positive thing. Well, I think it's the only thing that can be done. They've accepted that they are not going to be able to get the national government to um, act to support the states and then if that's the case rather than have any state act alone because we we aren't single alone states i think the interesting issue is what happens in ohio if you have a great lakes consortium because you've got pennsylvania so here would be the great lake states right new york pennsylvania ohio indiana illinois wisconsin and minnesota 
Michigan too. Mm. And they're very different states. And as a state like Ohio, which I think is, so the only two Republican governors there are DeWine and Indiana. Is DeWine going to buck Trump in the end of the day? It's a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. In a state like Ohio, and Illinois and Michigan have really different imperatives than Ohio does. They do. And it's, it's so hard for me to imagine even a working relationship between Illinois, which is where I live, and Indiana. I mean, one of our favorite jokes here is, what is Illinois without Chicago? And the answer is Indiana. And that perhaps shows our attitude. Listen, we've gotten all the way through the time and we've covered a lot of territory. You have a wonderful evening. I talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Talk to you later, John. Bye. Bye.